Hello and welcome to this episode of the Climate Talk Podcast. My name is Shea Fumi Adebote. It's a pleasure to be doing this again. And today I have a guest, someone that I met recently and I was very inspired by his presentation uh, where we talked about forest and uh, what it means. And on this conversation, we go deeper a bit beyond the, the very short um, on the surface presentation that he gave in the class, which was provoking, I should say. But we want to speak to some uh, fact that you, the listener, can understand and can inspire you or shape how you see these things. Uh, his name is Sebastian Kripo. Did I get that right? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Sebastian uh, Kripo. Oh, <laughs> Sebastian Kripo. Uh, and he is a forest biologist. He's been doing this for over 25 years. Uh, so that, that gives you an idea of the experience that he, he has. How would you like to introduce yourself, Sebastian? Welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, how should I introduce myself? Well, I, I'm a I'm an engaged person <laughs> uh, about the, the forest uh, ecology and the forest biodiversity, and, and considering, of course, the the, the the what is it like forest conversation conservation. Uh, we need to protect more forests because it's one of the crucial things to mitigate the climate change, for example and mitigate the, the loss of biodiversity. So, uh, yeah, we need to protect the nature. And right. we need to understand that nature is actually the, our best friend. Mm, it is, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was from that conversation with you or somewhere else that I heard someone say that uh, without incense, uh, or without insects, yeah. uh, we will, like, our nature, our biodiversity, as we know it today, will come to an end. But without humans, it will flourish. I don't know if it was from you. No, or but, it, else, it, it's, but it's probably true. Yeah, and I thought it was quite interesting because yes, insects will be the pollinators and yeah. they are like a very key part of the forest. And we as humans, what are we doing? Just cutting down the forest and destroying <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I mean, if, if you look at it, if you look at nature, there was of course always some kind of, of key species uh, mm. like insects, mm. uh, like fungi. Uh, and then we have species like humans uh, or cows mm -hmm. or, or whatever. But, but some species, we are not key species for the biodiversity, for the ecosystem. But we are just a part of the ecosystem. And, mm -hmm. and we are somehow using the ecosystem thanks to the key species. Mm -hmm. And uh, the funny thing nowadays is that we have become a key species, but not for you mm -hmm. know, developing the ecosystem but more for like destroying the ecosystem and that's and, quite and, hard and, to understand. Really, and sad also, and that exactly. is my first question. Let's talk about the human-nature connection. What exactly is it? What should it be? And does it look like we are losing that human-nature connection as it should be? Yeah, we have lost it. Hmm. I think especially in the Western countries, in all the rich countries where we where we don't know where our food is coming from. I mean, we just go to the shop and buy the food. Uh, still in, in like indigenous uh, peoples, uh, tribes and stuff like that, uh, all over the world, they still have a connection to the nature because they use the nature to get food, for example. They know where the seals that you need to eat if you are living in, in, in the Arctic, uh, where to get them. Uh, we have the, the Sami communities in Sweden who are using the reindeers and, and, and you know grazing with the reindeers in the forests or in the mountains. 
so they are somehow you know connected to the nature in some way and probably same thing in, in Nigeria in, in, in different places in, on, on this planet where we still have like people living by the nature and uh, we should learn from them in some way we should give them an, an opportunity to to show us how important nature is that, for that's humans. incredible. We really should pass the mic to them and give them the voice because yeah. we have it the other way around where people in you know very tush offices and yeah. in big places just write policies and make decisions based on what they think is yeah. happening exactly. without consulting these people on the ground. Exactly, exactly. Mm. That's a profound profound point there. Uh, and now when it comes to nature we cannot take away the um, place of forestry and I was doing a bit of um, reading and I've also been very curious about forestry for a long time uh, now and I understand that um, in the world today as we have it just two countries according to the our world in data report has more than 10% of its area is still covered with natural forests I mean not you know the man-made forest which we'll come back to talk about yeah man-made forest and natural forest but just two countries and you may be wondering what two countries uh, are these and i figured it's uh, russia which is like the home to the largest area of natural forest about 815 million hectares according to our world data reports and the second is brazil of course you know that's where the amazon uh, forest is and they also have more than 10 percent of their forest cover but if you look at other countries uh i come from nigeria and this same report says that we have the highest rate of deforestation. Uh, we're still struggling to get about 3% forest cover. And we still get to experience um, more and more deforestation over, over the years. 95% um, of forest, natural forests and tropics today have been destroyed. And while there are efforts to bring them back, we know it's going to be really, really, really hard work to do. So let's talk a bit about um, the Swedish forest, which is something you are familiar with. Yeah. Uh, I was also checking the trend and it says that between 2000 and 2021, Sweden has lost about 15% of its uh, natural forest. Yeah. It may be more, maybe less. What do you yeah, think? I, I think it might be even more. Mm. Because we, the clear-cut forestry that we do in Sweden, uh, we, we clear-cut about 1% of the Swedish forests every year. Mm. And that is like 200,000 hectares so that's quite much and mostly we clear cut of course the old growth forest or the forest that is mature enough or, or old enough to be uh, harvested so uh, and if you go to the northern parts of Sweden let's say from uh, Värmland and, and Dalarna and towards the north uh, towards Lapland we still cut down the the last remains of old growth forest because no forests or plantations that we have been done uh, during the last 60 years have been old enough to be clear cut again. So we are still like cutting, you know, the last remains of, of old growth forest and natural old growth forest with, you know, with, with this, with this, the right genes and with the right populations of, of different species connected to the boreal forests because these species will not be able to to find a home in our plantations because uh, the plantations of spruce trees and pine trees does not add up to the ecosystem of a natural spruce forest or a natural pine forest so we we have a, a 
quite big problem uh, for, for the biodiversity uh, in Sweden uh, in, in the near future because about 10% about the Swedish forests is still connected to the old pristine forest landscape that once covered Sweden less than 100 years ago. So that, that is, uh, I mean, you were talking about 3% forest cover in Nigeria. Yeah, we still have like an enormous forest cover, about 70% of the land of Sweden, of the Swedish country, is covered by trees, but it's not forest covers. Mm. Because I would say that the forest is an ecosystem, while when we cut down the forest ecosystems and replace them with plantations of trees, we have changed the ecosystem from being a forest to be a plantation. Mm. Just as you probably do in Nigeria too. And how they do in Brazil or whatever. You, wherever you go, we still have the same type of forestry in the world, which is very sad to see. Mm. Because the, 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 the natural ecosystem and the natural biodiversity of the forest or of the nature that, is, that should be in the, in the place, we need to protect that. Because that's the, the resilience of nature, the resilience for our human race to be a part of the future on this planet. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, you've answered my next question. Maybe I can put it in a direct form. How then do you distinguish man-made forests and uh, the roles of man-made forests compared to natural forests? Yeah, I mean, it can be the same tree species, for example. Exactly, because Sweden. some people will be like, oh, this is a forest. And yeah, exactly. You, you just see trees there, yeah. and you're like, this is a forest. Yeah. But from what you're saying, it's, it's completely different. Yeah, like, it is. What the natural forest will offer is completely different from what a man-made forest will offer. Absolutely. And maybe you can build on that question also and speak to the old uh, carbon capture and yeah. how, you know, yeah. um, people these days will... Or foresters will just say, oh, we want to farm, uh, we want to grow this tree to capture this percentage of yeah. carbon and it's this big and we think, yes, we've done the work and we cut it down. Exactly. As against the natural forests that have been there for like 500 years, maybe 600 years and capture even way more, but you cannot see, uh, I mean, you cannot tell by mere looking at it saying this is... No, this exactly. I mean, that's that's the problem with, with humans because we always try to find ways to count something in an economic growth way <laughs> mm -hmm. but we should have been taught or like taught ourselves to to count or accept or respect the ecological ways of how nature is working mm -hmm. uh, i mean if we clear cut a forest then you don't have any trees left that can uh, uh, capture any carbon dioxide at all yeah. then you replant the trees and they're very small trees and small trees doesn't really capture much carbon either uh, they have to grow quite big so they have like a big uh, crown yeah. and a big canopy density yeah. uh, then they capture quite much carbon from the atmosphere but then we cut them down again before they become really big trees mm. uh, so we are making some kind of an assumption that uh, just because they grow fast, then they capture much carbon. But it's not really the truth. The truth is that, uh, especially in the boreal forests, we, um, the older the forest gets, the larger carbon stocks we have in the forest soil. Because we have a, a very interesting uh, diversity of mycorrhizal fungi. Mm. Uh, and uh, it is shown 
by scientists that the, the largest carbon stock in the forests are in the forest soil made up by the mycelia of mycorrhiza fungi. And uh, if we kill the forest, like cut down all of the trees in the forest, we kill the mycorrhiza fungi uh, ecosystem. And it will not recover after the clear cut. Mm. Some species come back, but very many species which are more like uh, dependent on old growth forest, they will never come back to that forest. So we are actually, you know, destroying the, the, the biodiversity. We are destroying the ecosystem. We're even destroying the, the, the carbon sink in that way because we are overusing the forest ecosystem by clear-cutting instead of using some kind of a close-to-nature forestry with uh, selective logging, for example. So we still can uh, uh, leave a, a canopy density good enough for keep on doing the sequestration of, of, of uh, carbon dioxide. From the atmosphere. Great. Those are some, um, I mean, you, the listener, I may have heard some very technical terms. I'll try to put them in the description so you can read up about them. But there was one term that was constant and is not so technical, and it's carbon. You talk about carbon sink and carbon storage. And uh, these days we have a lot of conversation around carbon credits. And um, maybe you have an idea of how that works because for me, I think that a lot of this conversation, like you said, is just about making economic sense and being politically correct yeah but it does not really help the state of our biodiversity no. today uh, you see companies saying they are investing so much in carbon storage or carbon credits in some parts of the world maybe in africa or asia and that gives them like moral justification to keep emitting and to yeah. cut down trees in some parts and say we are planting it yeah. in other parts and i wonder you as a forest biologist uh you spoke about the connection with nature. How does this make you feel that there is a, I mean, growing, almost accepted worldview about how carbon credits is the way to go? Let's emit, let's make progress, let's, you know, do all we need to do to develop. But in some other parts of the world, we can plant trees and then yeah. we can cap capture the carbons we are emitting. How does that make you feel as, as a forest biologist? I mean, you become quite sad, actually, because it, it's not really uh, solidaric <laughs> to, to, to do that. Because, uh, I mean, we need to share this planet, you know, with all the other human beings, but also with all the other, like mammals, fungi, mosses, lichens, birds, whatever, insects. Mm. I mean, we have one planet and we cannot destroy it. And the thing is, when, when you look upon the consumption of the Swedish population or the Swedish society, we consume such as there should have been like four different planets, Earth. It, it's, I mean, if, you're, uh, if you know mathematics, you don't have to be Einstein even mm -hmm. to understand that that is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. We have one planet. We have to consume what one planet can give us every year. We cannot consume what four planets need to give us, give us every year. So we have a, a very big uh, issue and, and a very big uh, problem getting people to understand the importance of not consuming. I would love to see people consume friendship, <laughs> love, uh, whatever else, but not consuming the nature. <laughs> because the nature is just like finite in some way. Uh, we need to understand that 
if we keep on doing this, we will destroy the future for our grandkids.、Mm. And that's one of the, the, the ideas of why I haven't got any kids. Because I'm afraid of that.、Mm. I don't want to bring kids to a world where they might need to be killing others to have water, to breathe air.、Mm. I mean, it's crazy. We need to find a, a nice way of, of being human or humane to each other, but also humane towards the nature and the biodiversity. Otherwise, we kill ourselves.、Mm, absolutely. I mean, and you just wonder it's as simple as this, and why could it be hard for people to then、uh, begin to think of it differently? Because we still have companies that are making advertisements, we still have you know, world powers that are pushing narratives that still drive this. Consume, consume, consume、yeah. lifestyle. And it's quite sad. I, I think of it too as quite worrisome.、Uh, but let's, let's move a bit further into、um, the role of education. Or maybe before we get to the role of education,、um, you talked about seeing through the eye of a forest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I found it really profound in that lecture. I, I sat down and I was thinking, hmm, seeing through the eye of the forest. And you made this graphical representation of so when you get into the forest, Do you just walk past and be like, oh, nice trees? Or you see the, like, the,、um, I don't know, the technical terms like the fungus and the things that are growing on the trunk, and you look beyond、yeah. the trunk, and you look at the water and the ponds, and you hear the birds and the yeah, sound yeah, they make. Yeah. And I found, geez, this is awesome. So, <laughs> I mean, t- tell me a little bit more about seeing through the eyes of the forest. How can those of us that are blind get that kind of, of sight? I think that. It's quite natural actually to, to, be, <clears throat> to be seeing, or、well, as a human being, we have like a big brain, we, we are very adaptable.、Uh, and、uh, when we just like take time to adapt, to understand, to, to like, you know, take in all of the, 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 the what is it, like the feelings, the, the, the views you see, the smells you get, or the, like the, the sounds you hear. We are amazing in that way because we can get you know, into it like a, like a, like a person. I don't know if, the, if a cow maybe will be able to, oh, that's wonderful to hear the, the, the skylark singing, <laughs> stuff like that. But we have some kind of, of a, yeah, profound understanding of that this is life, this is nature, this is a part of us. But we somehow try to, like, you know, Push it away from us. We, we, we don't want to, to,、uh, to be a part of our everyday life because it's when we get the understanding of how important nature is for us, we get afraid of how we are behaving. Probably this is like, you know, the, with, with the pol- they say that the ostrich is like putting their head in the sand, for example.、Mm-hmm. They don't want to know what is happening all around them. And we do like that. But for me, seeing the forest through the forest's eyes is to see, to understand that the biodiversity in the forest is, let's say, for example, we, there's a small lichen、uh, called c l a d o n i a parasitica, which is only growing on, on dead wood of pine.、Yeah. And to, to, for the nature to recreate a substrate for this small species of lichen from a plant, you need to think or rethink <laughs> like 400 years ahead. Because that's the time it takes for nature to create the substrate for this species from this pine plant. Wow. So, when you understand that, you suddenly start seeing the nature 
or the forest with the forest eyes because you understand that the Cladunia parasitica only can grow in forest where you can find this type of substrate. And suddenly you start to see the substrate, but you never see that substrate in a plantation because then the forest is clear-cut once and it takes 400 years for the next substrate to be to be uh, to be a part of the possibilities for this lichen species to grow there. So, and I always do the comparison when I have my lectures or my talks, as you mm. heard about this, that we as human beings, we are very good at like seeing each other with the human eyes. Mm. I see you as a human being, as a fellow human being on this planet. Mm. And if you would like fall off the chair, I would help you probably. How are you? Mm. Are you feeling good? Can I help you? Mm. Because that's how we do it. Absolutely. And, but when we go to the forest, we just say, oh, mummy cut it down <laughs> and then we don't care about the species mm. and that's uh, that's a wrong way of being a human because humanity is about being polite taking care of showing love and and and, and, and compassion mm. to all life because life is sacred if not for only humans but it's, it's for cows it's for the grass it's for the lichens it's for the fungi it's for the trees mm. so life is actually the same everywhere because life is amazing on this planet Earth. Mm, absolutely. And that's quite profound, trying to help nature and not just seeing a dead tree and saying, this is a dead tree, we should go make some firewood or like just yeah. destroy it in, in, in the ways we like. It's been 21 minutes of exciting conversation with Sebastian <laughs> and um, I've learned a lot. I hope you have also learned a lot. And I will close this podcast by asking one, one last question, which is about the role of education. And by education, I mean beyond the classroom learning because that's what we think like oh i need to get a certificate or i need to get a master's degree uh in forestry to understand this thing you talked about it taking time and i, I as i was thinking I, I wonder we don't have to spend 25 years being forest biologist uh to begin to understand this but from a 30 minutes podcast a one hour lecture a two-day street these are tangible time that can develop and shape how we think about uh, forest, how we think about nature conservation, how we think about our roles as human in protecting the planet. So let's close by talking about the role of um, education. Yeah. Um, how do you think we can rethink education for the good of nature? I think that we need to be more part of nature. We cannot just like sit inside reading books, mm. getting lectures from people. We need to be there in the nature touch it, smell it, hear it, taste it. Mm. Uh, so uh, we need to use all of our uh, like skills uh, to, to be aware of what nature is. And uh, I mean, I, I also studied like nature conservation and, and biology, but on a, on a lower level than university. And we made most of our studies, you know, outside, outdoors. Mm. Uh, we had the lectures outdoors, we had a project uh, of, of doing outdoor work, uh, doing inventories or whatever. So we always got to see stuff, get to touch it, get to smell it, get to like taste it if, if we need to. And, and that is probably maybe the best way to, to teach because all people are different. Everybody is not like suited for just watching a lecture and writing notes. Some people need to have you know the hands-on stuff, yeah. and I, I might be one of those uh, because I learn more when I get out 
into the forest and I can see the things, how they are growing, on what type of substrate the species are, are, are choosing, uh, and how the, the forest looks like in those areas where I find these species. So I, I think it's education is, is very, very... What is it? It's, it's hard to just learn something from reading a book or getting a lecture or writing notes. We, we need to broaden the, the educational form to be more hands-on, to be more practical, physical, mm. you know, being out there. Because otherwise we will not be able to understand. Because when I have had lectures for students that has like, you know, biology students or, or forestry students, and of course they have like papers on everything that they have been reading and, and studying. But when we get into the forest and I ask them, can you show me these species that mm. we should protect? And they don't know anything mm -hmm. because then I have to show them that this is the substrate they are growing in or growing on or, or they need for their survival. Uh, so out into the forest, into the nature and uh, do the hands-on. Uh, it should be a big part of the studying or the, like the education form. And I wonder if you're concerned that with the new generation being very focused on their iPad and iPhones <laughs> yeah. and disconnecting, like not even wanting to be outdoors, if we really can get them to, I mean, understand education the way you, you said, it will take a lot of work. Yeah, it does, it does. And, and, but the thing is that when, when people get outdoors uh, and they have a good uh, teacher or a good lecturer uh, who can inspire them, they will probably, you know, put away the iPad mm. and iPhone mm. and suddenly they, wow, that's interesting. Can I look in your loop, for example, like magnifying glass? Mm. And I have had that experience quite many times when I have a guided tours, for example, because I was working at a national park uh, as a guide and we have like the highest waterfall in Sweden in that national park. It's called Fulefjället National Park. And we have the world's oldest spruce tree, which is nine and a half thousand years old. Like the, 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 the root system is so old. So it has been cloning itself on this mountain for nine and a half thousand years. So we had like guided tours to the waterfall and to this old spruce tree. But I wanted the, the, the people that, that joined me on these guided tours, I wanted them to have something more, uh, a knowledge that when they go home from this national park, they would be educated in some form of, of a knowledgeable idea of what is forest and what is a, a, a plantation. So I, of course, talked about the, the sex life of lichens, for example, or the life cycle of a tree, from being a plant to be an old tree to be a dead tree that falls down and decays into carbon stock. And become and a mother tree. Like exactly, tree, exactly, right? exactly. And uh, the, the funny thing was that after these guided tours for like say three or four hours, the things that these people remembered was not the highest waterfall or the oldest trees. Mm. They remembered the sex life of lichens because it was like connected to a human being because we also have a sex life, yeah. how we reproduce and stuff like that. Mm. But it's the same thing. And, and also this life cycles thing because they could suddenly see that trees are individuals that has the same type of life as we have. Like we we babies, get bored, yeah, exactly. Toddlers, it's so fantastic, exactly. So then I think that when they get that understanding, suddenly they can see the forest with totally new eyes Absolutely. for the nature. So I think that we need to find a way to, to educate people, to give them knowledge. Mm. Because knowledge is never heavy to bear. 
I mean, it's much heavier to bear your rucksack with your uh, student literature in it <laughs> than having this knowledge inside of your heart. So, more knowledge. Great, great, great. Oh, thank you so much, Sebastian. I wonder if you have any question for me before we call it a wrap. <laughs> I don't know, just on this part, but I'd love to have like a contact with you still and, and, and like send you texts or whatever, yeah. to, uh, questions or whatever in uh, the future. So. I mean, I would love to spend some time in the forest also. Maybe that would be we amazing. Can walk that out. I, Absolutely. Great. We can fix that. Absolutely. No problems. Great. Bring your classmates too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Yeah, thank it's been you. an exciting conversation. Uh, Sebastian and I have been speaking about a number of things from forest covers and different parts of the world. So how we can strengthen the human connection with nature. We've spoken about uh, the difference between man-made forest and natural forest. Talking about carbon sink and carbon credit and all the carbon jargons as we have them today. Uh, we also spoke about seeing through the eyes of the forest. Quite profound. I, I will listen to this again because I just cannot imagine. I mean, it's quite overwhelming. But yes, I, I just feel very inspired by understanding that we can see things differently uh, from what we, we know it to be. And we closed by speaking about the role of education. Education is important. They said it's easier, I mean, to carry so much education in your head than even carrying, like, you know, your backpack or whatsoever. And I think that's quite profound. You can relate to it also. So that's been the package on the Climate Talk podcast. It's been a pleasure doing this with you. My name is Sheifumi Adebote. Uh, the Climate Talk podcast is available on all um, podcast listening platforms from Anchor to Spotify to IAC Radio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, you will find the Climate Talk podcast. Uh, the website is climatetalkpodcast.com. Feel free to check it out. Uh, if you have questions for me, you can write me, shei at climatetalkpodcast.com. Shei is spelled S-E-Y-I at climatetalkpodcast.com. Uh, thank you for your time. Until the next episode begin to see through the eyes of the forest.